Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. We're into the new year now, so I'm not going to wish you a happy new year. You're sick and tired of hearing that. Hopefully though, you're not sick and tired of swinging by the old House of Kraus to see who stopped by for a visit. Uh, today we have two really interesting men who are coming by to chat. Uh, first up, James Randy. Now, when I was a kid, I used to stay up late, often on Friday nights, and sneak away downstairs so my parents couldn't hear the TV and they wouldn't know that I was up so late and I'd watch Johnny Carson. And often Johnny Carson would have a guy named James Randy on. In fact, he went on to become, I think, the most invited back guest ever in the history of The Tonight Show. But when I used to see him, uh, he was on talking about magic. Johnny Carson was a big magic fan, so they would discuss magic. James Randy would do uh, some magic tricks. He was also a debunker. Now, he doesn't like to be called a debunker. We talk about this a little bit in the interview, but he looked at psychic phenomenon uh, with a skeptical eye, let's say that, and he particularly went after Uri Geller, the guy who you remember, puffy hair, uh, you know, sort of well-built, good-looking guy who would bend spoons with his mind. Now, he was a sensation in the 1970s, and uh, James Randi went after him, you know, with hammer and tongs to uh, bring him down. In fact, he even wrote a book about him, which still sits on my bookshelf today. I bought it when I was about 12 years old. I read it. Well, you'll hear the story a little bit later on, but it's a prized possession of mine, even more so now. Now, when I got a little bit older, I started to, you know, listen to uh, a lot of my brother's records. He was big into Alice Cooper, so I became big into Alice Cooper. And then I saw on Midnight Special, probably, or somewhere, or photograph in a magazine, I don't remember now, uh, a picture of a very familiar face on stage with Alice Cooper. And it turns out it was James Randi. He toured with Alice Cooper. Uh, and was the executioner. He's the one that arranged all the magic hocus pocus that made it possible for Alice Cooper to be beheaded on stage. So if he wasn't cool enough already, uh, now that he was part of Alice Cooper's entourage on stage as well with Alice Cooper, even cooler for me. So it was a big deal when James Randi stopped by the House of Crows and we talked about a lot of stuff, including his beginnings in Toronto. Here's a listen. This is a, a story that uh, starts in Toronto, mm -hmm. or as you like to say it, uh, Toronto. Toronto. Uh, when you went to see Harry Blackstone at a theater in Toronto, not far from where we're sitting right now, True. and it changed your life. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, that's Harry Blackstone Sr. Mm -hmm. I got to know Junior, of course, in years following that, but he made a, a, a huge influence on my life. I was going to be an archaeologist, I, I thought, or I, I might be a chemist. I, I wasn't too sure. But uh, one visit to the theater, and I saw him do the levitation of a living woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, how that got to me. And he said, and he had a lisp, by the way, so I'll, I'll try to do it. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you will see this young lady suspended <laughs> in space before you. She could remain there, should I so desire, for a thousand years and a day. But in the interests of time and your patience, I will return her once more to the couch from which she rose only a moment ago. Azra, descend. <laughs> and how long amazing. ago was that? 
400 years at least. Yeah, at least 400 years ago. <laughs> a long time ago. And it, and it changed your life. And you are one of the only people, if not the only person that I've ever met, who can say with a degree of truth that you ran away and joined the circus. I did. And it changed your life when <laughs> you were did. 17. Indeed, yes. Uh, it may have been a bad decision at the time, but it's worked out okay. <laughs> yes. And since then... You have uh, called yourself a liar or charlatan, uh, all sorts of, of oh, other yes. names. You've made your living as an escape artist, as a magician. You hung over Niagara Falls and escaped from uh, straitjackets. Yes. But then you became a debunker. Well, no, I don't accept that term. You don't. No. And this is a point that's made in the movie. Yes, indeed. I don't say debunker because that would mean that I go into the investigations with the idea that this is not true. And I can't go into it with that uh, decision already made. Now, mind you, I, I believe that the things I investigate uh, from the beginning, I, I have a belief structure that dictates to me this is probably not true. But I have to go into it to investigate it, not to debunk it. And it, we're talking about psychic phenomenon uh, right now. So-called mm -hmm. psychic phenomenon, yes. Let's be very uh, correct about that. Uh, claimed psychic, paranormal, or occult events of any kind. And you have worked with uh, laboratories and scientists to help debunk stories, and there is a great clip in An Honest Liar where you're on the Johnny Carson show, and you broke an enormous story about a faith healer on that show. Yes, uh, well, a, uh, again, a faith would-be healer. And <laughs> Uh, I hate to, I hate to do this, but uh, I, I I find a compulsion to right. do so. So forgive me, please. <laughs> yes, that was uh, that particular one was Peter Popoff, and uh, <laughs> what a name! Uh, <laughs> Peter Popoff is still in business, believe it or not. Mm. And uh, after Johnny Carson retired uh, from the program, the Tonight Show, um, he called me oh about once every two weeks. I would get a call, and my secretary would show up at the door and say, Johnny Carson's on the phone. And I'd pick it up very calmly, of course, and say something like, a dee 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 And uh, he, he called me just, uh, I, I feel he was a bit lonely mm. because uh, it re being removed from that position of, of fame, of course, and uh, suddenly retiring the way he did. But he would always apologize for using my time. How could Johnny Carson <laughs> apologize to me for using my time? Ridiculous, of course. And he talked to me about um, this fellow, Peter Popoff, and we had thought we had exposed him so thoroughly that Popoff could never recover from that. But he's still in business. And John would say to me, how come? And I'd, I'd, I'd tell him, John, these are the unsinkable ducks. Uh, rather single rubber ducks, pardon me. I don't want to insult other ducks, you say. <laughs> uh, of the business, they, they'll they always be in business because people don't listen. They don't pay attention to what uh, people like you and I say. And John was very big on this. Mm -hmm. He was very, uh, very much dedicated to the fact that uh, there were phonies out there who should be investigated rather than just being wildly believed. And another... Uh, expression that I, I've had to correct people on from time to time uh, is they don't just want to believe, they need to believe. It's a very uh, deep need with them. They need something for hope. They need promise of something in the future 
promise that there are ghosts or gods or demons or whatever out there that are going to do something for them or to them. Uh, I find this really very sad, very sad, and I've been fighting it all my life. When they first approached you to make this film, did you think that it would just simply be uh, the story of your professional life, which certainly has been from age 17, joining the circus, running away to join the circus, to appearing on the Johnny Carson show over and over again, to exposing uh, psychics, to uh, your hanging over Niagara Falls in a straitjacket, to all the things, breaking a vertebrae on television while <laughs> William Shatner watched as you tried to replicate one of Houdini's uh, stunts. All these things are uh, are the stuff that movies are made up. Did you think that would simply be the story? Did you expect that there would be a personal element that is brought in as well as they do in the film? A small correction if I may. Okay. Uh, you called it The Honest Liar. It's An Honest Liar. Uh, so anyone who is going to look it up right. would look it up under A rather than right. T. An Honest Liar. Okay. Yes. Uh, no, I, uh, I have had so many facets to my life, Richard, uh, that it was very hard to winnow a lot of material, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to go through so much. Uh, there are huge sections of my life that are left out, which means that I'm probably going back to Kickstarter again. <laughs> yeah, there'll uh, be a sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, incidentally, the Kickstarter thing is so fascinating in itself. Well, this is how this movie was paid for, right? Yes. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, we asked for, for $52,000, and before, uh, I think, four or five days had gone through, uh, we had $120,000, wow. and it's, it's still being added to. And we have all kinds of wonderful things that we give away, of course. But I, I just wanted to mention the Kickstarter is a wonderful, wonderful project, and I'm very proud that uh, they did so well for us. Mm -hmm. so, in any case, uh, yes, I, uh, I have an, an idea that this may be the beginning of a brand new career for me at 85, <laughs> if you can imagine that. So i got to hurry along. I've got to do it very quickly. Uh, it's all on 45s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I, I'm looking forward to uh, doing more on the uh, An Honest Liar. I think that uh, there's much more to be developed. And every time that we do a showing of this film, as we're doing right now in Toronto, uh, I get questions afterwards saying, uh, what are you going to do next? What about so-and-so? And what about this? And right. they, they bring up episodes, you see. My whole life with WOR Radio, mm -hmm. AM and FM New York, uh, is, is, is fascinating in itself. I had such guests there. I, I would sit there with Lester Del Rey and uh, Fred Pohl. Now, these are science fiction right. names that uh, your listeners may not be familiar with. <clears throat> but I sat there with these people and just basked in the fact that for five to five and a half hours every night starting at midnight, I would be talking to these people and the time would fly. Mm -hmm. I would look up at the clock. It's 3.30. We haven't gotten around to whatever. Yeah. You yeah. know, we've got to hurry along. But having guests like that uh, is it, so... It's so flattering to know that these people would sit in front of a microphone half of the night just to talk to me about things that were of interest to me. Well, and it was an enormous listening audience, too. Oh, yes. And, uh, we uh, we reached all the way down into Mexico <laughs> and the Prairie Provinces yeah. uh, very easily. You see, we were in New York. Right. And uh, this was... Uh, 
100,000 watts AM. Yeah, that's and, huge. I mean, for people that don't oh, know, yes. that's like the, the Wolfman Jack and those guys, when they were broadcasting out of Mexico, they were 100,000 watts and blasting all over the United States. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Now, the interesting thing, I, just a little bit of a the side observation here. <laughs> we had fluorescent lights in the studio. Now, we were in Carteret, New Jersey, not in New York at this time. Right. We started in Carteret, New Jersey, where they have pig farms. Uh, we kept the doors closed <laughs> because the, uh, the aroma was not exactly pleasant. But that's where the actual transmitter was. We never had a light switch. So the no. lights were just on 24 were, hours a day? All the time because they weren't connected. <laughs> they were on Velcro and we had the, the negative Velcro on the wall, and we had the positive Velcro on the back of the fixtures. We put them any place we wanted to. From the radio field, the RF field that was there, so radio the, frequency field, it lit all of the fluorescent cubes. If you went to the cupboard where they stored the fluorescent cubes, you, you were tubes, pardon me, you were blinded. <laughs> it was astonishing. Wow. That's amazing. None of it was connected up. Now, what that did to my reproductive powers, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I think if I'd had children, they'd be all monsters of some kind. Or, or, or long and very thin, tubular. Yeah, yeah, but incredibly bright. Yes. And incredibly bright. And incredibly bright. Very good. Thank you. My favorite bit of footage, I think, in the film uh, happens at the very beginning. Uh, you're in a straight jacket. Two uh, Toronto, I think Toronto policemen, uh, sort of, you know, gently raise you, and you're raised in the air by your feet, and a woman sings a song, and you escape from a oh. straitjacket in the amount of time that it takes her to sing the song. But now, i got to tell you, Richard, that gives you an example, when you see that, of how bad television was <laughs> in those days. The, the floor is covered with gum wrappers. You look at the floor and there are cigarette butts on the floor. No one swept because this was like a radio program that they threw a picture into yeah. you know, as an incidental attraction. But just astonishing how primitive uh, TV was at that particular time. But it's a great opening to the film. Oh, yes. You know, I think it works very well as an opening. I'm a little embarrassed by it. I, I cringe. Why? <laughs> well... Because it's such primitive TV. <laughs> I, I don't believe that I was connected with it at that point. Well, no, I see. What I liked about it is that it it shows the width and breadth of your career. You have literally touched the early days of television. Hundred thousand oh, yeah. watt radio. Like, yeah. Plus, you know, and there's shots of you at the Magic Castle. A place that I've wanted to go my entire life. I can arrange for some can passes. You? Yes, I yes. would love to go to the Talk to me afterwards. Uh, there, it, but it, it really covers uh, the width and breadth of your career and the the um, uh, investigations that you have done into Uri Geller, who was a sensation. When I was uh, 12, 13, 14 years old, he was a guest on the Merv Griffin Show, on the Tonight Show, and that sort of thing. And he would bend spoons with his mind and all that sort of thing. And... The shot of you with Barbara Walters as you're just, you know, uh, doing exactly the same thing is such an amazing bit of footage that it, for my money, worth the price of admission uh, to the film just to see that. You had the chance to perfect your craft. Yes, I did because, <clears throat> pardon me, I was, um, I was working for carnivals and uh, Peter March's... Uh, what is it? Traveling show. That's what it was called out in the Maritime Provinces. You may have heard of them. I'm from the Maritime <laughs> Provinces. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and uh, I gained all my experience working in a, uh, you see, we're 
into carnival talk now. Right. We had a big top. Right. That's a tent, you see. <laughs> and uh, it was a very large one that was given to us by Mr. March personally uh, to use. And we had a 10-in-1, which is 10 attractions in one, so to speak. Right. We only had seven, but we never counted. <laughs> and uh, we had Kong Lee... <laughs> Kong Lee, the electric boy, uh, who was from the local laundry, uh, son of the proprietor. And uh, he took up with the show and did very well. We had him on a high-frequency platform, and I won't get into all the details of that. But that was rather spectacular, to say the least. I had a chance to develop material there. And every show, I would literally go backstage a bit in between the shows while the the talker, Mm -hmm. Barker, if you will, was out there talking up the next show and uh, trying to get people into the tent and doing very well for us, thank you. Uh, I actually thought, I didn't make notes, but I made mental notes. That didn't work all that well. We'll try something different, you know. I had the chance to develop uh, to a point where I felt pretty mature when I left the carnival. It, it was it was a good experience for me. I had a chance to bypass all that uh, uh, dreadful stuff of people making use of me and taking advantage of my newness in the business. Randy, you must get letters from people like me who uh, 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 want to know, want, just want a little piece of you. How do you respond to them? Well, I usually give them a little piece of me. Yeah. Uh, let's put it that way. I uh, Well, now in the days of, uh, of email, of course, mm-hmm. uh, life is a lot easier in that respect. Uh, and I try to keep, if, if it looks like it should be private, just between this person and myself, right. I always keep it that way because uh, I'm not, uh, I wasn't given permission to noise this around. But I find the internet is such a, a wonderful tool, but it can be very dangerous, yeah. too. You've got to be very careful of what you put up there. And I, I've run into all kinds of problems in that respect. But uh, I I try to answer everyone. Now, that's not easy. But I try to answer everyone because I, I, I've, I've had people meet me in public and come over to me and say, uh, you know, uh, Eight years ago, I wrote you, and they know the date even sometimes, (laughs) and I asked, and you sent me an autographed picture. I still have that. And they show me a wallet copy of it or something that they're carrying around. You can't buy that, Richard. You just can't buy it. That's the kind of thing that has to be given to you. Right. And it has to be granted to you. And I take it very, very seriously. The voices you heard in the background, the mostly laughing voices, those were Adrian Kress and Rachel Ritchie, who were also stopping by the House of Krauss that day. James Randi, too, such a cool guy. Could have talked to him forever. Uh, he was open, he was funny, he would talk about anything. And then, when it was all said and done, when the microphones were all put away, he pulled out a deck of cards and did a card trick that blew all our minds. 86 years old, and uh, really just a, a treat, a pleasure to be in the company of. Another guy I wanted to introduce you to today really needs no introduction if you're someone who reads the credits at the beginnings of film. So if you went to see Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Being John Malkovich or Adaptation or Stenectady, New York or, you know, um, lots of other uh, films even like uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, you would have seen the name Charlie Kaufman in the opening credits 
as a screenplay writer, as the script writer. Uh, he is now a director as well, and he's co-directed a film called Anomalisa. Now, he has an interesting worldview. His movies don't feel like anybody else's movies, whether he's directing and or just writing them. Uh, in Anomalisa, which is the story of a guy named Michael, and Michael is someone who has a, a jaundiced eye towards life. He thinks everyone is mundane until he meets Lisa. She's the anomaly. She's the Anomalisa of the title. And this movie is, I think, in structure, a little more simple than some of the other screenplays that he has written. Uh, but it sits with you and it will stay with you for a very long time afterwards. I saw it a month or so ago and it has stayed with me and evolved with me and that's what I think great movies do. They stay with you and your opinions change on them over time and you you think about things and you see deeper levels and that's certainly very apparent in Anomalisa so you want to check that out. Now I asked him when he stopped by the House of Krauss just about going back. When was it that he first realized that he was going to be able to make a living as a writer. I always like going back and sort of digging around a little bit in that time of people's lives. And uh, he gave me a really fascinating answer. So here's Charlie Kaufman. I like talking to people about sort of their the, the early days of, of their careers and that sort of thing. Do you sometimes now sit back and look at that moment those sort of the years when you say desperation and that, and think, wow, those were a different time in my life now. I can get things made now. People know who I am now. This is, it, it, there's a different feel to my life now. But do you sometimes miss the, the, the gut feeling, the desperation, or is that completely wiped away? I miss being younger. <laughs> and I, that was when I was you, younger. You and me both. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I mean, that was a really hard time and, you know, and very uncertain time. And obviously there's still uncertainties in everybody's life mm -hmm. um, always, but that aspect of it, you know, I haven't had to go back to answering telephones for yeah. a living, which is what I did. Um, I don't miss doing that. You know, yeah. I'm glad that it happened in retrospect because it's given me, you know, some life experience that I can draw on from my work. Um, but at the time it was, you know, it was, it was scary and depressing and, um, you know, and I felt very lost. Sometimes I, I think what I mean by that, sometimes in, in my own life, I, I look back and I, I miss the kind of forward propulsion that you have at that moment. Like, I have to write this thing. I have to do this. Otherwise, there's nothing else for me. I still and, feel that yeah. in a different way. I still feel it's not, it's not in I mean, sometimes it is about like, I have to get a job because I do have to pay my mortgage, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so I do feel that or, um, or I, I, if I can't do this anymore, what am I going to do? It's not like I'm set for life or anything, right. but you know, but then there's the desperation of, I, I want my, I want to make stuff, you mm -hmm. know, and, and can I get something else made? It hasn't been easy for me for the last eight years or so to get anything made it's, it's been impossible so i mean there was that sort of is it over is it over am i ever going to get something made again that's been going on in my head and so um so I, I would say i'm still living with that guillermo del toro told me that every time he steps on a movie set he assumes it's the last time he'll ever step on a movie set yeah but he's wrong <laughs> you know i mean he's clearly wrong <laughs> Well, that's it. That's all. There's no more room at the inn for you. Get out of here. The House of Krauss is officially closed for this week. 
Charlie Kaufman, thanks so much for coming by. James Randi, thanks so much for coming by. It was such a treat to meet both those guys. James Randi has been a hero of mine uh, since I was a kid. And Charlie Kaufman is someone that I've admired from afar for a very long time. So really lovely to have them swing by. But more importantly than that, it's such a pleasure to have you come by and pay us a visit every week. We put a new show up every single Monday. So please come by and visit us again. Visit us frequently because you never know who's going to stop by for a quick chat.